They gave him a bump, feet out in front, the big save by Leonard. Closing to his right, puck goes around behind the goal. Live from the Finley Chevrolet Fox Sports Las Vegas studios and live at LVSportsNetwork.com. Polisar again down low, right side he shoots, knocked down, Theodore fires, and he scores! This is the Vegas Golden Knights Insider Show, your destination for inside access with the team, exclusive player interviews, and breaking news from around the National Hockey League. Here are your hosts, Darren Millard and Ryan Wallace. Rolling right along, hour number two, Vegas Golden Knights Insider Show on Fox Sports Las Vegas. We've got another opportunity for you to win a pair of tickets to Vegas and Calgary this coming Sunday. That uh, a game in which, you know, I think the Golden Knights are going to look at it as as a great opportunity to make a statement against a team in the Pacific Division that I think has been off to perhaps a better start than a lot of people expected they would in the Calgary Flames and. You know, we're going to chat here in just a moment with Jesse Granger. We've still got to get to our ratings of the game against the Nashville Predators and the Edmonton Oilers, as well as one-timers. But here we go out to the phone lines. We bring in Jesse Granger with The Athletic. And, Jesse, the NHL's regular season is a quarter of the way done. And you know, I, I want to start here with an overarching question. You can go in any direction you want to. What has been the biggest surprise, pleasant or otherwise, through the first 20 to 22 games of the NHL season? Ooh. It, so this is, this is for the Golden Knights specifically? No, no, no. It's, it's all the entire league. We'll start there, and we'll, we'll kind of zero in on the Golden Knights. Um, I mean, I think, man, that's a tough question. For the entire league, I would say the biggest surprise is Alex Ovechkin is still <laughs> somehow the best goal scorer in the NHL, and he's like 40 years old. Um, <laughs> I mean, I know Ovechkin <laughs> being good isn't a surprise, but the fact that, like, I think we all thought he could score 20, 30 goals a season for the next few years and, like, keep up this longevity to get Gretzky, but the pace he's scoring at right now, and, and also when you watch the games, just how he's dominating games at the age he's dominating it at, is just absolutely incredible for me. So what I find interesting about Ovechkin is, you know, we were kind of diving into the, the goal-scoring numbers and 19 goals in 22 games. That's ridiculous at his age. Uh, but then it's it's also the fact that he's got 18 assists, like 37 points in 22 games. Ovechkin's the uh, kind of turning the, the, the clock back a couple of years and, and, as you mentioned, dominating. But he's also not just parked in the uh, in the circle and firing one-timers like he's scoring in a lot of different ways and that gives you or, or hockey fans in general a lot of confidence that he's gonna have the longevity over the next four and a half years to track down Gretzky and in my opinion track down 900 goals yeah I totally agree Ovechkin's been a guy who and like so I'm not a huge believer in plus minus being a great stat or a great <laughs> indicator of how a player plays, but Ovechkin is always known for, like, he's going to give some up on the ice because he's not the best back checker. He's, he's kind of just there to score goals. Um, I was just messing around looking at the stats uh, the other day, and I looked at plus minus. Ovechkin is third in the league in plus minus. He's only one behind the league leader in plus minus this year. So I think that kind of goes along with what you're saying. He's doing more than just standing in his office and waiting for a one-timer. He's controlling games right now in a way that we have not seen a player at this age do. Like you, you hear about like how many Rocket Richard trophies all these guys got. There are only three guys in the league with, with more than two in the history of the league. And those guys only have two. I think it's again Crosby that have, or sorry, only have three Rocket Richard trophies. He's going for his ninth 
the, the <laughs> longevity of this guy's dominance is just on another level. He's the greatest goal scorer to ever play this sport. So last thing here on Ovechkin, and I was hoping you'd go with Ovechkin because I, I really just wanted to talk about Ovechkin, but I didn't want to turn it into the Alex Ovechkin power hour, as has been accused on this program in the past. Um, 19 goals in 22 games. Ice, ice baby. There it is. That was an interesting drop. Chapman, you got to get the one with Backstrom in the in the in the serial commercial. But anyway. Will he score 50 goals in 50 games? Because like, if you look at the, the, the plethora of things that Ovechkin has accomplished as a goal scorer, that's one he hasn't done yet. Do you think he gets there this year? Uh, 50 goals in 50 games, I will say yeah, no. Yeah, let's do it. Just, Come on, just let's be, do it. Just because I feel like mathematically it's, it's irresponsible to predict that um, <laughs> because it just doesn't seem like it can possibly happen. If there's a guy out there that's going to do it and do the thing that is mathematically irresponsible, it's, it's Alex Ovechkin, but I will get, I'll take the safe guess and go no. Oh, come on. I, I want Ovechkin to score 70 this year and get into 800. Like I just, That would be the most Ovechkin thing to do. It's like, oh, I'm 36. Everyone thinks that I'm just kind of holding on and, and that it's not going to work out for me in, in chasing down Gretzky. It's like, oh, no, I'm going to end the year with 800 goals just because I can, just because well, I'm Alex Ovechkin. Right. Well, remember when the Capitals signed this contract, I remember a lot of the, the commentary when he signed the contract was, well... This is like this is a legacy contract, and you're you're bringing this guy, and he's probably not going to help you win Stanley Cups at this point. But you you want him to chase down Gretzky's record. You want him to do it as a capital. That's the right way to do it. Um, no, actually, he's just going to be a heart candidate um, and try to lead you into the Stanley Cup. <laughs> yeah, the most Alex Ovechkin thing in the world. So, all right, Jesse, let's let's kind of uh, refocus here as as I got the Ovechkin stuff out of my system and, and get to the Vegas Golden Knights, a team that right now is, you know. Sitting in a wild card spot through 21 games, they're 12 and nine. It's it's kind of weird how you know the schedule. It started off with the Golden Knights going one and four, and then they went 11 and four in their next 15 games, and it's been win one, lose one over the last uh, little bit of 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 last week or so. Where are you at right now with this Golden Knights team um, as they've navigated injuries, they've navigated COVID, and seem to be in a pretty good spot as they get closer and closer to health? Yeah, I guess where I'm at right now is they're starting to look more like themselves, and, and they haven't done it for 60 minutes yet, and I thought that that Edmonton game, despite losing, um, I thought they, that was there were a lot of good things that came out of that game, and the biggest one being they looked like the Vegas Golden Knights of the last couple of years that made two runs to the Western Conference Final. And I, the reason I say that is because I don't think it's just a given that that was going to happen. I mean, we have seen teams in this league get battered with injuries, and then the players come back, and they just can't, can never seem to find their way back. Like, that's, that Sharks team reminds me of that. They came off that Western Conference Final. They had a bunch of injuries, and even when they got guys back, they just weren't the same. So the fact that Mark Stone steps back in the lineup after missing a ton of time, Max Pacioretty comes back, and they're still missing some key guys, William Carlson, Alec Martinez, but without missing a beat, they just immediately, over these last two games, became that team that controls the puck the whole game. They've got possession. They, They just cycle teams to death in the offensive zone and not really with a cycle, but just with guys moving around and moving that puck around. I think this team is starting to look like the dominant 
um, expect to win every night type of team that they have been over the last two years. And like I said, that may not seem like a big thing because they've done it so much, but I don't think it was, a, it was a given that this team could bounce back from just kind of holding their head above water every night, getting out shot, getting out chanced, and just winning because of goaltending and timely goals to then suddenly being this dominant team that they have been. And I think the last two games are a very encouraging sign that they are returning to that. You know, I, I'm with you on, on that because against Edmonton, outside of just giving up odd man rushes against, like I liked pretty much everything about the Golden Knights game. I really did. I liked the fact that they were able to keep Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl off of the score sheet. I liked the fact that the Golden Knights penalty kill was dominant in the two opportunities that they had to kill off power plays on a unit that's operating at 39%. Like there was a lot in the process for the Golden Knights that went well in the Edmonton game, and and I think the sentiment after it was, oh man, uh, the Edmonton Oilers are just so much better than the Golden Knights, and I didn't come away from that game feeling that at all. No, definitely not. Um, I think, and not only were Drysaddle and McDavid held off the score sheet entirely, they didn't really make. It wasn't like they were just snake bitten and hit a couple posts, or it wasn't like Robin Leonard like just had McDavid's number. They really didn't generate much at all, and and that was kind of what the Golden Knights wanted to do going into this game. I think if you're the Golden Knights, you say, okay, this is right now. This is our biggest. Um, roadblock. Obviously, the Colorado Avalanche wants to get further in the playoffs, but in the Pacific Division, this is our biggest roadblock to getting to where we want, which is the Stanley Cup Final. And if you're able to control their two best players the way you were, you're able to minimize their pen- their power play, which is obviously their biggest weapon, as you mentioned, and you did it without William Carlson in the lineup, without Jack Eichel in the lineup, who's eventually going to be there, I think you have to feel really good if you're the Golden Knights. Yeah, and I mean, like, to be fair, Miko Koskinen played out of his mind, but we've seen Miko Koskinen have some really rough, rough starts uh, at T-Mobile Arena, and, you know, it's kind of hit or miss with Koskinen in, in terms of where he's at on a, on a game-to-game basis. So uh, you look at this as, as maybe just a goaltender got, got into a groove early and the Golden Knights didn't capitalize on their chances, but, like, I'm with you 100%. I, I look at that game against the Oilers, and I know the results matter. I know they mean something, but I, I like where the Golden Knights are at a little bit more than I like like where the Edmonton Oilers are at, if I'm being honest. Yeah, and, and the biggest concern for the Golden Knights, for me at least this season, has been the, the amount of chances they're giving up. Like, they lead the yeah. NHL in expected goals against per 60. They're giving up an insane amount of scoring chances, and Robin Leonard has just played really well to keep them from that from, that from sinking them. Um, I think as they get players back, you think, okay, is that going to magically fix this? Are they suddenly going to become this team that doesn't give a bunch up? And... So far in the two games that Pacioretty and Stone have both played, that kind of has happened. So like I said, good sign. So Jesse Granger joining us here with The uh, Athletic as we, we kind of chat about where the Golden Knights are now a quarter of the way into the NHL season. And, you know, this week is going to be an interesting one for Vegas in that you've got Anaheim, you've got Arizona, and you've got Calgary. Those are the three games for the Golden Knights this week. And, you know, the, the, the game against Anaheim, that's a big game. One point separates these two teams in the standings. Uh, the Golden Knights have a game in hand on the Ducks. So this is a, a big, big game in, in terms of seeding and, and where things might end the, the season for the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, but then you got the Calgary Flames coming to town on Sunday, and that's a huge game just to to see where the Golden Knights stack up against a team that is incredibly stingy and does not give up a lot to anybody they play with a a, a real testament to what Daryl Sutter has been able to do there as coach yeah I agree two huge games they're lucky they have an AHL game in the middle of those two that they can kind of rest and, and prep for because <laughs> the Arizona Coyotes are not an actual NHL team but 
Um, yeah, I agree. It, it was funny. I actually went after practice today. I went in uh, to availability, kind of wanting to ask, and I and I asked Jonathan March or so, and I asked Pete DeBoer, what is the 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 feel going into this Anaheim game? Because I think the feel going into the Edmonton game was this is a huge game. This is our biggest competition. This division, we need to show up, and it's kind of a measuring stick game. Whereas. Anaheim, because they haven't had success recently, and this is really the first winning they've done in a long time, I was wondering, like, how are the players viewing this? And Marshall so said, this is a good team. They have some really good young players. We expect them, and, and they beat us the first time we played them. We expect them to give us a good game. We've got to be at our best to, to beat this team. So I, although Anaheim is kind of a surprise, I kind of view this similarly to the Edmonton game where um, this is a chance for them to to impose their will, like you said, show show a team that they they're not quite there where the Golden Knights are at this point. Um, and Calgary, Pete DeBoer, unprompted today, brought up Calgary as playing the most complete game in the NHL. Uh, he was asked about kind of lapses in the defensive end, and he said, "Well, right now most teams aren't playing 60 minutes. Um, this is the time of year where you're trying to to build those foundations and get to a point eventually where you're playing 60 minutes. And he said, the only team right now that's probably happy with their 60-minute efforts is Calgary. So um, I think that speaks volumes about what Pete DeBoer thinks of the hockey the Flames are playing right now. So that's going to be a big test. Yeah, I mean, the Flames have allowed just 42 goals in 21 games. Like, it's absolutely astounding how stingy they've been uh, defensively. And, you know, the, the funny thing about the Flames is is you're going you're gonna to go into that game thinking, okay, well, they only allow 42 goals. Uh, they're boring, right? They're going to just kind of strangle the life out of the game. And while they, they do that to a point, while possession is really the name of the game for the Flames, they've got exciting players in Matthew Kachuk and Johnny Gaudreau that are capable capable of, of making some plays. Andrew Mangiapane has been phenomenal for the Flames. So th- this is a, a big, big test coming up for the Golden Knights against a structured team that also has elite skill to finish. Yeah, and a hell of a goalie behind him. Um, Jacob yeah. Markstrom is playing some phenomenal hockey right now. I don't even know how many shutouts he's up to, but he's been incredible. Um, it's, it's crazy that Robin Leonard has been outstanding, like top three, top five goalie in the NHL this season. And he's not even the best goalie in Sweden this year. <laughs> he and Jacob Marker, <laughs> man, if, I, if, I, if, the, if the NHL, which it looks day by day, it looks like we may not get NHL players in the Olympics, whatever ends up happening there. If we get NHL players in the Olympics, you got to look at Sweden as a potential upset because, I mean, they've got Leonard and Markstrom and Ned, and they are, they're two of the best goalies in the entire league right now. Yeah, yeah the, Jacob Markstrom has five shutouts in 16 starts which is incredible just ridiculous and and yeah you're you're absolutely right like the the flames have kind of checked all the boxes off and have bought into what Daryl Sutter's doing and I know we're spending a lot of time here on the flames but you know you, you look at the main competition for the golden knights and I think we all were were a little nervous when when all the injuries hit and the golden knights were 1 and 4 how are they going to kind of keep their head above water they did a great job at that but now it's time for Vegas to kind of go on a bit of a run and, and create more separation from the rest of the Pacific Division and get to where Edmonton and Calgary and to an extent Anaheim are in that regard. And in order to do that, the Golden Knights are going to have to beat good teams. And good teams like the Calgary Flames, like the Anaheim Ducks, like the Edmonton Oilers are going to come on the, the, the schedule for the Golden Knights. It's, it's going to be up to Vegas to, to really go on a run and, and do that against really solid teams in the Pacific Division that I don't think a lot of people thought would, would arrive on schedule the way they have this year. Yeah, I think, I think you mentioned creating space. I think, it's, I think it will have a pretty sizable impact on 
the things the Golden Knights do down the stretch, because when you, when you turn it back to a Vegas perspective, you're, you're eventually you're going to get Jack Eichel back, and there are going to have to be moves made to make that work salary cap-wise. And I think not only with the moves you make, but also just with the way you play Jack Eichel, I think it's going to be determined on, is this team playing hockey where they've got to win every night? Every point matters. They have to make the playoffs. Or are they going to be in a position that is the one they're more familiar with, which is kind of coasting at the end of the season? They're in the playoffs. They may be playing for seeding, but we all know that doesn't really matter all that much. It's, it's get in and you're good. So I, I do think that if they can create some space here, then suddenly when Jack Eichel comes into the lineup, you can ease him in or you can, you can put him on a line that maybe he's, he's not comfortable with, but you think we're going to ride this out for 15 games and get him ready for the playoffs. Like, I don't know. There's just a lot of different things where if, if this team is playing for its life in, in April and, and May, they, things look differently, I guess. All right, Jesse, I, I got to ask you this because you brought up Jack Eichel and, and it, it's too early to, to really sit back and think about this, like who he's going to play with. But the only question I have for you on Jack Eichel is this. Should Jack Eichel play with Mark Stone, or should those two players be drivers on their own line? Yeah, I, I think um, you're, you're right on that second part. I think that I think the Golden Knights have two players on this team. The Golden Knights have a ton of talented forwards, but I think they have really two that can – just make a line on their own. Mark Stone is so good in all facets of the game, defensively in the neutral zone, offensively, that you can put a guy like Chandler Stevenson next to him, and now Chandler Stevenson, even without Mark Stone, is playing tremendously. I think he can get guys going. I think it's and, and Jack Eichel is the exact same way, maybe even to more of an extent because he's so fast and he's so good offensively. Um, I think it's almost a waste to put him on the same line because you're not getting the maximum um, – Effort, or not, not effort, but you're not getting the maximum effect of those two players. Um, whereas you put Eichel with Pacioretty and maybe somebody like Riley Smith, Evgeny Dodonov, those two, Pacioretty and Eichel are going to make that third guy so much better. And then you put Stone with, whether it's Stevenson or Carlson, and, and then Marcheseau or someone like that, I think you can get a lot more out of those two star players in Stone and Eichel by splitting them up rather than putting them together. And you can always do what the Oilers do, which... They've split their two stars up this year, and then you can put them together on the power play. And I think a power play with Stone and Eichel, I don't know if it's going to be 39%, but it's definitely <laughs> going to be a whole heck of a lot better than what the Golden Knights have done. Jesse Granger with The Athletic joining us here at, to talk about the Golden Knights through the first 21 games of the season. Jesse, I know you're up against it time-wise, but I would be remiss if I didn't allow Chris Chapman to at least ask you one question. So, Chapman... Let's go, buddy. All right, Jesse. I'm, I'm really going to put you on the spot here, and I know you mentioned that there's going to have to be moves that are made. And, uh, of course, you, you people like you and I, we look at the, the salary cap, we look at the roster, and we're like, all right, this guy makes sense, that guy makes sense. But do you think the odd man out is going to be someone that we're expecting, or do you think maybe it's a name that comes out of left field and it just kind of blows us all away? Like we're like, wow, I can't believe that's the guy that they traded. And, and who do you think it's going to be? Yeah, I, I so initially when they first traded for Jack Eichel, I thought, and I kind of wrote this in, in a couple pieces, the piece that makes the most sense is Riley Smith. And that's simply because he's a UFA at the end of the year. Looking at their salary cap situation moving forward, it doesn't seem all that likely they're going to be able to re-sign Riley Smith without making another move. And, and knowing this team, they'll make the move if they have to. But that was kind of the, the just automatic, like he looks like the easiest fit to move. 
But I'll tell you what, every day since then, I've felt less and less like, like Riley Smith is the guy to be traded. He is playing so phenomenally well right now. He's Pete DeBoer's favorite player, if not one of his favorite players. And he's trusted in all situations. He's, when he's playing with confidence like he is right now, he's one of the best finishers on the team, which is something this team needs in the playoffs. Um, every day I feel less and less likely that it's Riley Smith. I think he might be too valuable. I think even if you believe you're going to lose him in the offseason, he still might be worth keeping for this cup run. Um, so, so while I don't have a good answer for you, I think maybe Dadunov, although he's playing really well right now, I think there might be a way to, to do it with ancillary pieces like uh, maybe a Brassois and a Yanmark and a McNabb. I don't know. There, there's a lot of math to do there. But I do think that Riley Smith was the easy answer, and I think he's not as easy. <laughs> it's not as easy to move that guy and to take that guy off of a roster that looks like it, it can compete for a Stanley Cup right now. It's almost like Riley Smith needs to be their trade deadline acquisition, right? Like you, you, you usually want to flip a piece or move a piece that's on an expiring contract if you can't re-sign them or don't think you can. Uh, in this case, you look at Riley Smith and all that he brings to the table. It's it's almost like you don't want to go into the playoffs without him. Yeah, it's it's like I said, it's that initially that piece seemed like okay, you can do without it, but the way he's playing right now, I don't know if they can. He's been so good. All right, hey Jesse, uh, thank you for taking some time on a a nice Monday more uh, Monday afternoon. Uh, we will chat with you, I'm sure, sometime soon, probably this week. I, I'd really like to pick your brain on Sunday about the Calgary Flames as they come to visit. Uh, take care, buddy, and we'll talk to you soon. Cool, sounds good. Thanks for having me, bud. That is Jesse Granger with The Athletic as he joins us to chat about the Golden Knights, where they're at. We talked a little bit about Alex Ovechkin, but right now, Chapman, it's time to throw our ratings out into the world. What did you think of the game against Nashville and then the game against Edmonton? Well, I thought the game against Nashville was phenomenal, right? Like, they got the shorthanded goal from Petrangelo. They they follow up a, a kind of a not-great game uh, against St. Louis with a, with a big win against a team that I think is is probably better than I think maybe anticipated. I am going to give that one a Carolina Reaper, Ryan. Carolina Reaper for Nashville. I'm going Carolina Reaper as well. I thought it was a really complete game for the Golden Knights uh, in control for the majority of it. It really felt like uh, that no matter what, happened in that game the Golden Knights weren't going to lose and there have been times throughout the year where when Vegas gets a lead it feels shaky it did not feel shaky at all to me against the Nashville Predators all right Chapman you go first for the Edmonton Oilers game all right this may surprise you because they know because they lost but I saw a lot of really good things on Saturday night they they shut out the top power play in the league they held the two of the three top goal scorers without a po- or two of the top points leaders in the league without a point and i believe it's the first time all season that a team has held mcdavid and drysidle together to no points i i know there's been games where one may have had a point and the other didn't but it's the i believe it's the first time all season that that's happened i thought robin leonard was good I think the, the 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 things that happened that caused them to lose that game were correctable mistakes. I mean, obviously, you never want to give up that many odd man rushes. The turnover at center ice leads to to a breakaway goal, but I thought it was a really good game. I thought I thought they were the better team. 
they were just on the wrong side of, of the score. I'm going to give it a Carolina Reaper. Ooh, Carolina Reaper from Chris Chapman in the Edmonton Oilers game. I am not going Carolina Reaper. I'm going to go with Ghosts. I'm going to go with Ghost Pepper, and I'm and I, I don't disagree with with what you said, right? Like I think you look at the Golden Knights keeping McDavid and Drysaddle off the score sheet, and and really like those two players not having much of an impact at all. They they were more or less pretty invisible throughout the majority of the game. That's a testament to the way the Golden Knights defended, especially in zone. However, too leaky and too many mistakes sink Vegas in that game. I love the penalty kill. I love the confidence you build from the penalty kill. I love the fact that the Golden Knights were able to do it without Eichel, without Carlson, without Patrick, without, 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 no Alec Martinez in the lineup either. So it it gives you a lot to build upon, but you know, the result was there for the Vegas Golden Knights. And that's, I think, kind of the part that, that bothered me the most is the second period start for Vegas wasn't what I was expecting or hoping it would be. And then they fall behind 3 nothing, and it felt insurmountable at that point. Uh, I, I liked a lot of what the Golden Knights did. I thought the process was really, really strong. Uh, but the start of the second period is what bumps it down to a ghost pepper for me. Yeah, and you know, I'll add something else. I, I, I know they only had one opportunity, and it was something I asked Pete DeBoer about in the press conference. And he kind of alluded to the fact that, look, we need to get better at, at getting on the power play. We need to find better ways to draw penalties. Yeah. They only had one opportunity on the power play, but I thought it was one of the best-looking power plays they had the entire season. I mean, they absolutely dominated. I mean, they, it was so good. I think they only played one unit the entire power play. And, and it, yeah, they did. They, and, were in, they were in the zone for a minute for, and 45 seconds. Yeah, and the only reason that they didn't complete the two minutes was because there was a puck that was knocked away. But... They looked really solid. I think Patch Reddy, it seemed like he had like 40 shots on that one power play. Um, you mentioned the start of the second period, and Chandler Stevenson had an opportunity, and I just don't think he got the shot off that he wanted because I think it hit Koskin in the chest. But he comes down, and, and he, he he puts it into the, 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 the pads of, of Koskin, and, and then a few seconds later, Edmonton scores that goal to take the 3-0 lead. But... There were opportunities for Vegas to get back in that game when it was one nothing, or maybe when it was 2 nothing. I mean, the third goal, I thought, was was really disappointing because, you, like you said, you would have thought that maybe after the first two you would have been doing things a little bit differently on the defensive end. But I don't think it's a game that Vegas was disappointed. I think they're disappointed they lost, but I don't think they were disappointed in the effort. And I, I thought, like I said, I thought they played a pretty good game. Yeah, I'm with you. The process for me was was really where it needed to be against Edmonton. The last two games, the Golden Knights had played uh, more stretches of good hockey than not. And, you know, you want to see that trend continue and continue and continue as the Golden Knights get healthier. On that front, William Carlson was announced today is in the NHL's COVID protocol. Carlson still dealing with uh, his rehab coming back from a broken foot. So uh, you look at it and you say, well, on the positive, he's not going to be in the lineup right now. So it's probably best to deal with COVID. But the the big question uh, with with William Carlson in, in his in his rehab is, is he eligible to get back on the ice right now? And is he going to be missing some of those skates because he's in the NHL COVID protocols? Something to keep an eye on, something to keep in mind uh, on that front for the Vegas Golden Knights. Also, a quick update on Nolan Patrick uh, in that he's he's moving in the right direction, but not 
close. And as far as Alec Martinez goes, it's more about kind of a, a head issue than it is so much the cut. The, 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 the biggest thing that I say when, whenever it comes to Alec Martinez, if he's not playing, it's because he physically can't go. And I think we all understand and give Alec Martinez um, that right because he's played through so much in his entire career that there is something that, that you know, maybe beyond just the cut from the skate that is keeping Alec Martinez out of the lineup. Right now, though, we are going to make you a winner. 702-876-1340, a pair of tickets to Vegas and Calgary this Sunday. A huge game with a lot of implications in the Pacific Division. Be caller number 27. Caller number 27, you have won a pair of tickets to Vegas and Calgary this Sunday. 702-876-1340. We're back with one-timers next on Fox Sports Las Vegas. On to the near wing. Big shot, he scores! It's time for one-timers. Quick looks at some of the biggest stories of the day. And it's a tie hockey game. On the VGK Insider Show. All right, kicking us off here. One-timers. Like, how are we not going to talk about biting first? Like, I understand there's there's turmoil and upheaval in, in Montreal and the, the Penguins have been sold and all that, but where I want to focus my time and attention right now and the story that I want to make sure we get to without any interruption or without having to tweak it because we're running out of time is the story of Brendan Lemieux biting Brady Kachuk in an altercation over the weekend. The two came together. There was a fight, a little bit of a brouhaha, and Brady Kachuk gets up from the ice and he's bleeding from his hand. And he implies... Uh, a couple of times that Brendan Lemieux bit him while they were jostling on the ice. It led to a five-minute penalty and, and an ejection for Brendan Lemieux. He's also got an in-person hearing with the NHL, uh, the results of which we have not heard of yet. But perhaps the greatest thing about this is the war of the war is the war of words that are happening between. Brendan Lemieux, Jonathan Quick, and the Kachuk brothers. So here's here's what Brady Kachuk had to say about the incident. I think it's the most gutless thing anyone could ever do. It's outrageous. Kids don't even do that anymore. <laughs> He's a complete brickhead. He's got nothing up there. Uh, Chapman, when was the last time someone called you a brickhead? Um, I don't think I've ever actually been called a brick how how old is brady kachuk yeah that's like like the, legitimately like it's like from charlie brown right but doesn't, doesn't <laughs> don't they call charlie brown a blockhead yeah exactly like listen for as as frustrating and annoying to, uh, to play against as brady kachuk is on the ice his trash talk in this context needs some work because i don't think brendan lemieux is is gonna lose too much sleep over being called a brickhead however when asked to respond to the incident, as well as the comments from Brady Kachuk, Jonathan Quick had this to say, I have my own opinion about what happened or did not happen last night. And what I can tell you is that any comments that were made about Pep, Brendan Lemieux, were garbage. He's a valuable player who st sticks up for his teammates. We all support him, and I'd rather have him on my team over that kid any day of the week. 
what, like, I understand Jonathan Quick coming to the defense of Brendan Lemieux in this situation. Like, I get all that. I do. But, like, let's not let's not get it confused. I, I think Jonathan Quick would absolutely take Brady Kachuk on his team over Brendan Lemieux, right? Like, whole five points. I, <laughs> yeah, like, what, what are we doing here? Like, Jonathan Quick, like, your, your credibility goes out the window when you say stuff like that. Come on. Yeah, I mean, look, the, the, the reality is I think Brendan Lemieux, he, he's got a lot of his father in him, mm-hmm. right? His, his father yep. was a real tough, hard-nosed player. Of course, any anyone who grew up a Red Wings fan probably hates Claude Lemieux. Um, as a guy who grew up a Devils fan, he was a guy who gave me a lot of reasons to cheer and then a couple years later gave me a lot of reasons to cry. But uh, look, I mean, the reality is Brendan Lemieux not as good as his father. His father was a was a really really good player, right? Aside from being that tough, hard nosed guy, he was a guy who had the ability to to get things done on the ice. Brendan's not that guy, but I kind of feel like if Brendan Lemieux's on your team, you kind of like him. If mm-hmm. he's not, you probably hate him. But let's be real, I'm taking Brady Kachuk over Brendan Lemieux seven days a week and twice on Sunday. The best thing about all this um, <laughs> is that Cameo exists. Oh, and oh. By the way, Darren Millard's apparently on Cameo, or he's going there. That's, that's the rumor, yeah. anyway. Like I don't know. Maybe that's what he's, he's up to today. I'm not sure. But listen, Cameo exists for a reason, and the entire Brady Kachuk quote about what happened <laughs> and, and all of the anger and vitriol he spit toward Brendan Lemieux, the, the brickhead, was was cameoed by Gilbert Gottfried and and this dramatic reading of of the comments from Brady Kachuk is just next level the way that Gottfried pronounces Kachuk is uh, both infuriating and amazing at the same time I just retweeted it at Ryan Hockey Guy on Twitter so go check that out if you haven't uh, as well as Matthew Kachuk saying in in response to literally all of it, uh, Brady isn't wrong about Brendan Lemieux. So there's a lot of, of of anger and pettiness and and hate swirling around, chaos some might say, and I think that that just makes hockey a little bit more fun to watch, especially when Matthew Kachuk and the Calgary Flames take on Brendan Lemieux and the LA Kings. Yeah, I mean, it, it, the, the Gilbert Gottfried aspect of it just added like so much more to this this situation. Um, yeah. Gilbert Gottfried, I, I think he's a very underrated, funny guy. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie The, the Aristocrat. <laughs> Yeah. I would highly advise if you're a comedy fan to find this movie, but put the kids to bed before you watch it because it's definitely not something you're going to want them to to see or hear. Yeah. But yep. I thought between Gilbert Gottfried and Bob Saget were probably yes. the two funniest guys. And, and like we all have this idea of, of Bob Saget being Danny Tanner on Full House, but mm-hmm. uh, yep. he's not that guy. Um, kind of like Brendan Lemieux is not Claude Lemieux. He's not that guy. Uh, Gilbert Gottfried is is hysterical. I used to listen to him on Stern back in the days when I was in high school and, and early college years, and I would laugh so hard. But the way Gilbert Gottfried keeps a straight face through this, like I have yeah. no idea how he doesn't start laughing because mm-hmm. you 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 factor in the, the pronunciation of Kachuk's name, the 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 brickhead stuff. The yep. biting is for babies. It's it's <laughs> it's hysterical. Find it, watch it, 
laugh because it, it's it's so so worth the, the two or three minutes that it takes to get through it. Just retweeted it at Ryan Hockey Guy on Twitter. Go check it out. Gilbert Gottfried, a uh, a dramatic rendering of Brady Kachuk's commentary on Brendan Lemieux. So uh, the Montreal Canadiens have a a new direction, a a new vision. For the organization, it's a fresh start. Mark Bergevin out as general manager. Scott Mellenby uh, resigned over the uh, over the weekend as the assistant general manager. Forty-eight hours have brought about some real change. Jeff Gorton, former New York Rangers general manager, has been brought in as the VP of Hockey Operations. There will be a a new general manager, I would imagine, shortly, sometime soon. Uh, what do you make of the change in Montreal? Um, well, I, I, I'm actually surprised that another Canadian team, I think they're actually playing them tonight, was not the first to make an organizational change or did not beat the Canadians to make that change. I mean, it, you kind of saw the writing on the wall when Mellon B resigned over the weekend. Um, Mark Bergevin was going into the, the last year of his contract. He's a free agent at the end of the season. Um, you know, there there were some rumblings. Maybe the draft pick that they made over the summer did not sit well with a lot of people in the organization. Um, I think Jeff Gordon, you know, you, you bring in, maybe you get some stability. I think there's a lot of young talent in Montreal. I don't really think there's much else. And I I, I just don't know. I, I, I think it was obviously a fluke that they went on that run last season because they, they really weren't that good. They got hot at the right time, and 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 Carey Price kind of helped them through a couple series. Some fortunate things, like you 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 look at what happened in the Winnipeg series, with players being suspended for a large portion of that series. I I'm not surprised, just because of the fact that I don't think they're that good. I mean, they they kind of had that fluky series in the bubble last year. They go on that fluky run. I I'm not shocked. I think a change was was overdue, and I mean we'll see what happens now. Yeah, I mean, I think your point about the Vancouver Canucks and Jim Benning is is well taken. Uh, a lot of factors, obviously, going into Bergevin being on the out. Um, Stanley Cup final to outside of the organization within six months. Like, that's a pretty stark change. But, you know, I, I think the fact that you're, you're going into a situation with a bad team and a trade deadline and opportunities to kind of make some changes here, if Mark Bergevin isn't under contract beyond this season you have to make some some decisions you have to make some tough tough changes and that's exactly what the Montreal Canadiens did here I like Jeff Gorton a lot it'll be interesting to see who they go with as uh, the the general manager just in terms of you know who's going to be talking to the media the most all that kind of stuff Uh, but Gorton's hands are going to be all over this team You, you saw kind of what he was able to do in in uh in New York with the Rangers and kind of really stripping it down and turning it in the right direction. And then, you know, impatience kind of wins out with the Rangers and uh, a panic decision, in my opinion, uh, was was made last year when Gorton was relieved of his duties. But I'm curious to see what Gorton brings to the table with the Montreal Canadiens and how quickly they can get back to a bit of relevancy. And uh, really the last big story, we alluded to it. We're not going to spend too much time on it. Uh, But the Pittsburgh Penguins were sold to Fenway Sports Group Mario Lemieux, Ron Burkle will stay on as members of the ownership group. 
and uh, you know the the general managers, uh, the the entire management operation staff of the Penguins are going to stay intact. It really doesn't seem uh, like too much is going to change for the Penguins, except for maybe a new ownership group that wants to. Uh, win more and find ways to spend money on the Pittsburgh Penguins. Yeah, um, um, it's a group of people that I'm I'm familiar with. Look, this is a group that has been very successful in a lot of different aspects in sports. I'm a I'm a huge Liverpool supporter. Fenway yeah. Sports Group owns Liverpool. It had been 30 years since Liverpool had won the Premier League title. Fenway Sports Group comes in. They have a plan. All of a sudden, they're one of the best teams on the planet. The Red Sox, of course. Obviously, Fenway, Fenway Park. Yep. Um, that's where the name derives from. Uh, they, they, they hadn't won in, in forever. Uh, they, they, they come in. Um, John Henry and company come in, and all of a sudden, the Red Sox are one of the greatest dynasties of the, of, of the 2000s. They've had success in NASCAR. They were involved with Jack Roush Racing. They've won championships there. This, is a, this, will, this will be a boost, I think, for the Penguins. I mean, look, this is a sport where... You can get good quick if you, if you make the right moves. Mm-hmm. And the ownership has proven that they have the ability to help teams stabilize and win championships. And and I think for the Pittsburgh Penguins, I think it's, it's, it's got to be an exciting time just based on the track record of Fenway Sports Group. Those are your one-timers for this Monday, November 29th. Weird how that just flows with the actual date. Not November. Catching up. Yeah, well, you know, whatever. Uh Catching up with Chapman, that's coming up next right here on Fox Sports Las Vegas. When the guy wouldn't stop talking, we had no choice but to give him his own segment. It's time for Catching Up with Chapman. All right, time for the uh, best segment of the day. No, I'm, 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 I'm <laughs> Not kidding. today, buddy. Not today. No, no, no. We- we just, we just got through talking about a biting incident between oh, you and... and Brady Kachuk and Brickhead, like that. <laughs> Brickhead, I love it. Listen, as good as your segment's going to be, it is not the best segment of the day. No, no, the the Brickhead segment was was pretty impressive. I, lo- yeah. I love that stuff. And anytime we get to talk about Gilbert Gottfried, I'm I'm all on board with that. That's good stuff too. So I mentioned earlier in the show, defenseman with shorthanded goals. I I I thought the number was three. I thought Petrangelo was was number three. I actually was wrong. If we include the playoffs... I'm shocked by this. Well, I, I wasn't too far off. Including okay. the playoffs, Petrangelo is number five. Okay. The first, I, and I, I listed them in order. The first was Colin Miller. He did it in the playoffs in San Jose. It was that game seven where he scored the shorthanded goal. That was on April the 23rd, I mm-hmm. believe, of 2019. Sure. Yeah, Sounds it, about right. Yeah, that, that does sound about right. The second one, the second player with a shorthanded goal was Brady McNabb. He did it on October 4th, 2019 against the Sharks. How about that? Okay. Yep. I think it was a slap shot from the point, too. I believe it was. Yeah, I, yep. I remember it pretty pretty well. The second or the third one, which I completely missed, and it, it, I believe it was a road game, it was John Merrill who did it against the Columbus Blue Jackets on February 9th of 2019. Hmm. Shea Theodore had the fourth. That was... February 6th of 2020 against Florida. That was actually Super Bowl Sunday. And the last, of course, was Alex Petrangelo, who did it last Wednesday. So there you go. There's the five shorthanded goals in Golden Knights team history. 
From defenseman. From defenseman, yes. So April 12th, 2019 was Colin Miller's. It was not game seven. It was a game that they won. So he scored the shorthanded. I think it was it was in San Jose. It may have been game two. Because I remember well, he, game he, two and game seven are very, yeah, yeah. very he, different. He came out of the box. I remember he came out of the box and yeah. he had a penalty. And that was he ended up. I think it was a five on three that they killed. And then he came out of the box as the fourth defender and they fed him on a breakaway and he ended up scoring. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I don't remember the Merrill one at all. I don't like, either. Not I, even a little bit. It was a road game in Columbus. Maybe that. Maybe that's, <laughs> that's why. That's probably why. And it was. A, it the, came against Sergei Bobrovsky. Well, that's not terribly surprising over <laughs> no. the last couple of years. But that's I mean, not of... this year. Bobrovsky's been fantastic, but uh, yeah. I I didn't look, but it's very possible Shea Theodore's was also against Sergei Bobrovsky. Interesting. I'll very, have to look that very up. Very interesting. <laughs> so I like I don't I don't know any of the significance of this, but hey, that's what you chose to do. Yeah, it's all good. I, I hey, I had to own it. <laughs> All right, well, we're back tomorrow. Hopefully, Darren Millard will be with us. Thanks for listening today. We'll talk to you then right here on Fox Sports Las Vegas.